Three weeks ago, when most of this started, I kind of decided I would follow 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And it says, Now abideth faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Two weeks ago, I did speak about faith. I talked about Gideon's experience with faith. Last week, I talked about hope, of how we place our hope in our king, our eternal king. Today, I want to speak about love. And when I, when I think about speaking about love, I feel as though I'm walking up to the ocean with a teaspoon with the concept of draining it. How you could possibly cover such a mass subject as love. But I want to tell you that today across our nation, we observe what is called Palm Sunday. You can read about it in the Gospels, Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John's 12th chapter. This was the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem, and we called it his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It was prophesied by Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, that he would come. And here we celebrate the fact that after those many centuries of, of prophecy, the prophet Zechariah was absolutely correct. A throng of people strewed palm branches in the path, and they cried exactly what it Zechariah prophesied, they cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I, I was thinking about this week, and I, I, I wanted to ask on the behalf of just the, the bystander, why? Why did these people, uh, why would they lay palm branches down? Why would they make so much of this man as he came into their city? And I think it, if you'll uh, let me use my imagination, I think I see a throng of human beings venturing a life and a faith and a hope, and I think so with a craving of affection and acceptance of a loving God. Yes, we need faith, we need hope, and we need to know we're loved. I read history, and it changes all the time. We're in a new day. We've never been before. History History doesn't change in that sense, but I will tell you the needs of humanity doesn't change. Even in our generation today, we still, in the innermost being, we want to have faith. We want to believe in something and someone. We crave a hope that is the future. Something will always be better. And, of course, we all want to be appreciated and loved. So I want to go this morning to perhaps the most familiar verse of Scripture in the Bible. Perhaps it is the greatest verse in the Bible. Some believe so. And I believe it may be, some say it's the greatest subject in the Bible. So let me read something that I trust is extremely familiar with you. And from here, I'm just going to make some observations. The Christ himself declared this word, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have read that. I hope we have. I see it even placed on placards at football games and basketball games, sports events, so it will be seen on television and all that. I, w- I just want to walk through this one verse making some points that I think, w- I hope it will elaborate something about what we read in this one verse. It is perhaps the greatest possible, it presents to us the greatest possible reality. It begins with, 
for God. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that God is real. He is not some deity on some distant planet somewhere unattached from his creature called the human being. He is eternal. He is creator of all that there is. He's still the governor of all that there is. And he is high and he is holy. God, ladies and gentlemen, is real. Secondly, in this verse, I see the greatest possible charity. It said, for God so loved. I rejoice that God is righteous. I rejoice that he is just. I rejoice that he is pure. I rejoice that he is omnipotent. I rejoice in all the attributes of God. But the greatest thing that woos me to God is to know that God is love. A love beyond our comprehension for humanity. God, ladies and gentlemen, loves this world and he loves the human being. Thirdly, I think it suggests the greatest mystery. God loved the world. It has, it has become so sinful, and for all these centuries it has ignored God. It maligns God by and large, and so many misunderstand God. Yet, though He is high, though He is holy, though He is righteous, though He is pure, and though He is just, this God so loved the lost souls of humanity. Pastor, where's the mystery? The mystery is this. That God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. Someone says the measure of a person's love can be determined by what they're willing to give to the object of love. God gave his best. He gave his only begotten son. No other was pure enough to pay the price. And Jesus also gave his life. He said, no man takes it from me. I lay it down. And his blood, ladies and gentlemen... That's the mystery, but it's also the greatest gift that humanity has ever known. I want to add to this, perhaps this is the greatest possible opportunity. Consider the word whosoever. John Bunyan, the many centuries ago author of Pilgrim's Progress, he believed in his statement the greatest word in the Bible was the word whosoever. He declared something like this. He said, If it said John Bunyan, I would despair because likely there would be another John Bunyan more worthy and deserving of God's love than me. But whosoever includes me. I will tell you that whosoever, I've sang it all my life, an old hymn of the church, whosoever meaneth me, it means me, it means you. And we have the greatest opportunity, whosoever will, let him come. Next, I want to see this as the greatest possible tragedy. Possibility there is in these verses of perishing. I cannot imagine being bound in my sin forever. Being without grace, being without God, being without God's mercy. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest tragedy of humanity is to have the opportunity as a whosoever to come to God and be loved and be clean and be made whole and turned into a new creature with a new nature and spend eternity with God and miss that opportunity. Greatest tragedy that human beings would ever know. I want to go on and say for those who acknowledge sin and for those who come to the cross and for those who come to repentance, the greatest possible eternity. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I know whom I have believed. I know who I committed my sin to. I know whose blood washed away my sin. I know who has redeemed me. I know who has declared me righteous in the high court of heaven. I know who's recorded my name in the Lamb's book of life. And no man can pluck me from his hand. I have eternal life. Not only that, it's not only in the future, but it's here and now. I'm going to talk a little more about that in a minute. But I am the righteousness of God in Christ. There's no perfection in my flesh, but there is perfection in my spirit because I've been born again. And that now I have the promise of heaven with an eternal God. Talk about John 3.16. What a great verse of scripture. I'm not sure we could exhaust it. But I want to be practical with us today. I want to talk about how does this apply to real life? What does that say to you and me in 2020? Ladies and gentlemen, I, want to, I was in conference just, just in a conversation with one of my staff the other day. And we were talking about God. And I talked about it. I was going to preach on this message called love. And all the things we could say about love. We know that. Because of John 3.16, God so loved. And let me tell you, when you so love something, it's more than liking. It's more than just an affection. It is, I will give my life for you, agape type of love. And I made this statement. Jesus Christ did not die, and God did not redeem the souls of men to make bad men become good men. But he did it all so that dead men could live. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. Because we have a world that I think is living in such blindness. And in such depravity of spirit. I think the God of this world had blinded so many minds. I, I, I look at what we used to call reason or common sense and I go, Lord, what has happened? Why can't our people see things in a correct and a true way? If you were to read in Proverbs chapter 14 and 12 and also in chapter 16 and 25, you'll find an exact verse of scripture. And I think when God decides to put in his word something more than once, perhaps we should pay attention. If I could say something to this society today, whether we're in the midst of this trouble that we're in or just waiting on the return of the Lord, listen to this verse of Scripture. It says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That word seems in the Hebrew, it gives this concept that you see something, you, you face it, and it comes with an appearance, and then it turns. It, it seems like one thing, and then it changes. And that's what, that's what the writer, the Spirit, wrote to us. There are so many, I fear today, that are looking at something that seems right, but it's changing, and they can't see beyond the obvious. Ladies and gentlemen, I declare to you today, I don't have to, you know it, our world is full of death. There are plagues and wars and catastrophes. There are, there are natural deaths, but God's Word speaks of the death of spirit. Yes, we're going to celebrate resurrection next Sunday, and we call that Easter, the greatest day of the Christian gospel. That will primarily concentrate on the resurrected body of Jesus Christ when he came forth the third day out of the tomb. But there is 
there is a spiritual resurrection from the dead also. And this resurrection, ladies and gentlemen, changes everything about your life. Paul said to the Ephesians, and I want to want to try to just read some some verses of Scripture here, and and just kind of, if I can, ask the Spirit of God to to show it to us in life. Paul writes to new believers in Ephesians chapter one. I'm going to be looking at some verses of Scripture. Verse fifteen says, Paul writes to them and said, I. Also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And what would Paul pray for new believers in a letter? He goes on, verse 17, to say that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give to you the spirit of wisdom... And revelation, that is, that is natural wisdom. It is also supernatural revelation in the knowledge of Him, meaning Christ. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Ladies and gentlemen, when you come from Death to life spiritually by giving your heart to God, your whole world changes. Your, your, your vision is different. Your thoughts are different. Your appetites are different. The shackles of this old world can be laid aside. And he goes on to say, I pray for you. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power, meaning God's power in your life, Toward us who believe according to the workings of his mighty power. I just want to tell you that when you become a genuine Christian and you give your life to God, he teaches you and he leads you and he guides you. He gives you wisdom beyond the wisdom of humanity. He lets you see into a, a spirit world that, that it, that Spiritual truths begin to enlighten your heart and your mind. And Paul prayed that for these new believers. Verse 20, from which he worked in Christ, this power, when he raised him from the dead, meaning God raising Christ from the dead, and seated him at the right hand of, in the heavenly places. Notice this. For the Christian, God sent his son to die. He lived the life, he was crucified, he was buried, but then he was resurrected. And God allowed him to ascend at the ascension, and he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Notice this, here's something we need to know today, verse 21. He is seated far above all principality and power and might and dominion. He is talking about... Everything of Satan's power on this planet. Our God and His Son are far above the principalities, age rulers of darkness, wickedness in high places, be it a might or a dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. I am hearing everywhere I go, do you think this is the end of the world? I want to, I just want to tell you in, in simplistic form, the world is not coming to an end. This age will come to an end. And I do believe we're seeing the very end of those days, which will be, usher us into the day of the Lord 
And we have a great future for that. But I want to tell you, the end of the church age is about to end. But Christ is now head of the church. And we who are that body of Christ, Paul said, Ladies and gentlemen, we don't live to the dictates of this world. We do not think like this world. We do not take our marching orders from this world. He goes on to say, verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. That is kind of a background. And here's what I read all that to let you know that Christ is is victorious, that Christ paid the price, and it had an effect on these people, and Paul prayed for them. But when we get to chapter 2, I want to bring it to us today. So here it is, verse 1 of chapter 2. It simply means this, And you, he, meaning Christ, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And notice this, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. Paul writes to the Romans and says, there's none righteous, no, not one. He says, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all once conducted ourselves in disobedience. He goes on to say, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others are. But verse 4 is a place where we should thank God. But God, who is rich in mercy, became, or because of His great love, which we're talking about today, with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And He raised us up together. This is that resurrection of spirit that I was talking about a while ago. When you come to Christ, you, you rise from the dead to, to life again. And he said, he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice this, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. I, I cannot tell you what those major verses mean except simply this. That when you come to Christ, you become a new creature. And all the fears and all these things go away because you know who has your future. It, it's, it's tremendous. There we see why God didn't just die to make bad men good. He actually died so that dead men could live again. I want to ease over to First John and just say a couple of things and I'll be through shortly. John, in, in chapter 2 of 1 John, I want to read a few verses that follows what Paul said Excuse me, to the Ephesians. He said, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want to be clear here. He's not talking about when he says, Do not love the things of the world. God is not talking about His creation we're to, I love this planet. I think God, even though it's sin cursed, it is beautiful. I know there's thorns. I know there's sand burrs. I know, I know those things. But 
he's, he's not talking about the created world. He's talking about the world in its spiritual condition and the things of the world that Satan uses to try to destroy my life and my eternity and yours. He goes on to say, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And he goes on to say in verse 17, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Verse 18 says, Little children, it is the last hour, and you, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming even now. I want to declare to you, he goes on and says, There have been Antichrists before. There will be many Antichrists. The Antichrist will come. I just want to tell you that the next major prophetic event that I believe is going to transpire on earth is what we call the rapture of the church or the catching away of the church. This is the genuine, repentant, obedient believer of God. And then the man of sin, Antichrist, will appear. The church age will be ended. Tribulation will be on this earth for seven years. It will be followed by and ended by the battle of Armageddon. And then at the battle of Armageddon, there will be a thousand year, a millennial reign of Christ and the church. At the end of that age, that thousand years, there will be a final judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment in scripture. And then there will be the final state. Isaiah saw it, all the old prophets saw it, New Testament prophets, Revelation, you can read it. There was a new heaven and a new earth. So I just want to tell you, I believe today's events should affect us in this way. Let me just be very clear about it. If you do not know the Lord, you have a right to be operating in fear. If you really have not made your calling and election sure, you really have reason to be considering what's going to happen in this planet. I, 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 want, to, I want to ask you some questions as I close this morning. For us today... Do you want to be free from fear? Do you want to have that something settled so no matter what happens to this world, you don't have to be afraid? Here's another question. Do you desire to be certain and confident about your future? Do you want to know that you know that you know where you're going to be if it does end? And what about peace in your life? Is there something genuine that umpires your life that when the world comes in with its flood and its, and its negativism, that there's a peace that passes understanding that it doesn't make sense to the common man, maybe even to us. And Paul, we, we get, we're told in the scripture, don't lean to our own understanding and Psalm. Do you, would you like to have that kind of peace even in this hour? What about inner joy? I don't know if you know this or not, but you can be in some of the worst circumstances you'll ever experience in your life and yet have a joy inside of you the world doesn't understand, but you understand it because it's from God. John three sixteen, Whosoever will, believe in Him, and you shall not perish. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be two resurrections. The first one I want for you is that of your spirit, that of your present life. You can come from the death that sin in this world has put you in. 
from a quagmire of, of negativism and, and a place where life doesn't have any answers. There seems to be very little value or or are you in a treadmill trying to satisfy the deep inner longing, that spirit in you? I want to tell you, turn to God. There will be a resurrection in you. Behold, old things will pass away. All things will become new. You will go from the dead spirit to a spirit that has life. And then secondly, I, I on Easter, I want to be resurrected like, like the others. We're taught by Paul in several places, but especially Thessalonians, at the rapture of the church, that these dead bodies of those who have gone before us that were in Christ will be brought out of the grave. And if we're alive and remain when that return for the church happens, we will put on immortality. Whether you're in corruption, Paul said, it shall put on incorruption. Whether you're immortal, you shall put on immortality. And we will be like Christ. Paul said, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Today, I want to just tell you, you still have time. Today, John 3.16 is still available. The love of God, it calls to us, it woos us. If today's headlines do anything, let it make us desire to hear from the Lord and to determine we will not have to live in fear. I can be certain and confident. I can live a life of peace. I can have joy in the worst of circumstances because I'm no longer dead. I'm alive. And I'm looking forward to the coming of my Lord. I've been able to tell so many folk in the last few days, I really am not worried. The scripture says, don't worry. What can you add or take away from any day or any time? I want to just speak to you and tell you, I, I don't understand why someone would say, well, let me think about becoming a child of God. Because, ladies and gentlemen, God was our creator. I know our world and I know there are philosophical concepts and I know there are many religions. I'm not calling you to religion. I'm calling you to a relationship where you can be a genuine son and daughter of the Most High God. You just have to believe on John 3.16. Come to Him. Believe Him. Confess Him with your mouth. Believe it in your heart. Ask Him to forgive you for your sin. He will take that shed blood that God has already accepted. All we have to do is accept it. And He will cleanse your life. He will change you from the inside out. There will be a new nature come into you. There will be a, an entirely new concept of life enter into your spirit. And yes, You'll have questions, and yes, you're a babe in Christ, and you'll grow. Get in the Word of God and stay in the Word of God. Get around God's people. Learn more about God. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from the world's problems, but it means we have a Creator who lives inside of us, and we know that He governs all things. I just want to share with you that opportunity.